Now, for those of you who are new here this morning, you're going, great. You know, we just jumped into a bunch of, uh, you know, church kind of type of stuff. And those of you who are here probably go, great, we just jumped into a bunch of church stuff. Um, but listen, uh, every year we kind of come to the place where we have to kind of vote for elders. And how many of you are kind of going, why do we do what we do? Anybody else have that question? Just me and one other person? Um, okay, great. So never mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so questions. Why do we do what we do? And it's important, you know, this church um, truly seeks to love and obey Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we want to do what the scriptures say about how the church is to be run. Now, obviously, we live in America. We live in 2021. And so we've got a lot to work through to try to find out what God intends for his church. But I believe that the Lord's given us wisdom as an elder board. We want to share that with you. But for those of you who are expecting me to be in Daniel chapter 7 this morning, I apologize for the false advertising. We just felt like, you know, this needed to be taught. I mean, you don't just want to bring stuff up to the church and saying, hey, we want you to vote on a change to something that's really serious and not give a biblical reason for it. That's the reason why we do what we do is because we want to make sure it's rooted in Scripture. That's hopefully what we're all leaning towards in our lives and also in the life of the church. And so... <clears throat> Please forgive me for holding off for one week. Bear with me. You're going to learn something. I'm going to learn something about the Lord and how he laid out everything. And so what we're going to be focusing on this morning is um, the reasons for the elder board changing the proposed oh, children dismissed. Okay, thank you. My wife gave me a heads up. Children dismissed. Thank you, love. But we're focusing this morning on the reason... Uh, to change our constitution and our bylaws regarding the appointment of elders at CCF. For those of you who don't know, elders are the ones who are responsible for shepherding the flock of God. We're, we're responsible for what is taught. We're responsible for what is not taught. We're responsible for uh, making sure that we all are encouraged and grow up and mature in the Lord. And so you can see that we, we have our hands full and need to grow in this. But uh, that's, nevertheless, elders are a very important role. And so this, my, this morning, it's my aim to walk you through what we have seen uh, as an elder board for the past several months as we've gone through the Word of God regarding the appointment of elders. You know, every year we kind of come to this point and we look at it and we go, wow, we need to address this. And then it's just, it's Christmas time. We're like, okay, well, then we get into January and we go, okay, well, let's just go through this. And then we come, kind of come to it again. The next year we go, oh, it's Christmas time. And so out of all years, we figured COVID would be the best year to address this. <clears throat> and so, after this morning, those proposed changes will be made available to you later in the week. And then over the next few weeks, as Marcus uh, pointed out, we hope that you'll read, read what the changes. They'll be side by side on the existing and what we're proposing. It'll be clear for you. And also that you'd pray over that, that you'd be a Berean, you'd search scripture, you'd go over what I just taught. We ask that you take notes this morning. We ask that you participate next Sunday at our, uh, at our body life meeting at 2 o'clock be here, make it a priority. I encourage you. And also um, that you dialogue with the elders and ask questions. And obviously among yourselves, you want to ask those questions, but don't leave us out of the loop. Uh, it's important that you talk to the people who are proposing these things to you. So join with us in discussion so we can seek the Lord together. And then, as we said, be a part of the vote at the end of the, end of the month or whenever we're going to have this. And so just to give some context, as, we, as Marcus mentioned, our Constitution was put together in 1982. 
How many of you were at this church in 1982? One, two. And those are awesome people, by the way. Uh, But long before most all of us were here, uh, the elders formed uh, what is our constitution and our bylaws. And the constitution basically describes our name. It describes uh, our purpose. Um, Our name's the same. Our purpose has changed. It describes what membership is. It describes how leadership is formed. It describes our corporate status. It describes the process to amending the Constitution. Okay? And the bylaws basically speak about the process of ordination and licensing and all that type of stuff. And so these are the documents. If you're wondering for a while why we do what we do when it comes to procedural stuff once a year and the meetings we have, it's because we're following these documents that were put together by people we all don't know, most of us, except for the two, right, or three, 40 years ago. <clears throat> we don't know why they did what they did. We can kind of glimpse into it. And so we're looking at these documents, and, and it's become increasingly apparent to our board and to many of us in our fellowship that these things need to be revisited and reworked. Revisited and reworked. Because first of all, what was laid out in, for CCF in 1982 doesn't necessarily work for CCF in 2021. How many of you are, are, have the same rules and bylaws in your own home that you did in 1982 and as you do in 2021? Things have changed. There are certain principles that are immovable, which are scriptural. Those things don't change, amen? We, we don't want to mess with those. We actually want to move towards those. But there's things about how you do what you do that change all the time. And so we, we, need, we see the sense of, of that needing to be changed, uh, changed practically. And so there's some practical things that need to be changed. But most importantly, and this is the, my focus this morning, is some of the things we see in the Constitution and bylaws, they don't line up with what's laid out in Scripture. Unbiblical. Now, I think we've all experienced this in our own lives. You you start out with something, you're moving a certain way, you read the Word, you're growing in the Lord, and all of a sudden you have a different understanding, you have a more mature understanding of what it is, and you realize something's got to change in your life. That's what happens if you're a Christian, amen? Yeah, that's what happens. And so as we're growing with the Lord together in the elder board, and as we're in the Word together, we look back at these documents and go, wow, that just doesn't sit right. What's going on there? And you keep asking these questions, and then you match it against the Word. You go, what we're actually doing doesn't fit with Scripture. And so what do you do? Keep on doing what you're doing? No, you've got to change. And, and this, our, our, pro, our process is to bring it before you and to lay out our case for doing so. We've got to change to what we know is, a, is, is true. This is what the elders are seeking to do in this first round of changes that we're proposing to you. It's to bring our Constitution and bylaws more aligned with Scripture when it comes to the appointing of elders. And that's the primary issue before us this morning. And our elders have sought the proposed changes to do two things, both to modernize it in the things that are non-scriptural, just procedural type stuff, but most importantly is to align it with Scripture. And so my focus this morning is not so much on the practical side of things, it's more on the biblical side of things. Uh, to be to the point, when it comes to the appointing of elders, uh, we believe that the Scripture teaches that within the church, the authority to appoint elders rests solely with the elders and not with the members.
How does that sit with you? Yeah, it kind of feels kind of crazy, huh? Feels bad. Feels like you got to have a part with it because we're in America and let's all vote, right? I want to make the, the biblical case that the election or the appointment, the responsibility, not the process, but the responsibility of electing elders rests solely with the elders. I wanted to be clear about that so you don't think that we're beating around the bush. Now, now I know that many of you already know that. You already know that to be true as you read scriptures. You don't see examples of, of voting. You don't ex- see examples of the church getting together and say, hey, we'd like to have this pastor or this leader or how this goes. But you actually see the Lord's pattern for electing membership, uh, for uh, electing leaders. You see it in Scripture. And many of you think, well, well, aren't we already doing that? And the truth is, no, we are not. That is not what is going on. We've all inherited a church constitution that currently gives the authority, the sole authority, to appoint elders to the members of CCF. And as Marcus said, we don't even know what that means. And the way it's written now, both elders and church members, when we have this once-a-year deal, can nominate elders. But it is ultimately the body, us, the body, I'm not separating myself out from the body, we are part of the body. It is the body's responsibility to have a 75% approval to approve an elder. And that's all by secret ballot. That should like tip you off to some things. You've got the power and authority totally rested in the body to elect an eldership that can do that autonomously, totally apart from the elder board. Now, I know there's Your mind is going to all these scenarios and all this type of stuff. And we want to talk about those scenarios and all those things. And what do you do about abuse of authority? What do you do about all this kind of stuff? It's totally reasonable. But the way that it's written now is that ultimately the members, it's the members who approve elders by a 75% majority. And that vote is via secret ballot. So the question is that I asked you this morning is, Where do the scriptures say the responsibility rests for appointing elders in the church? That is our authority. Where do the scriptures, what's the pattern in scriptures that show us where the authority rests for appointing elders? Now, a lot of you have opinions about that. And right now, if you're like me, you're either bugged or confused. So um, I want to bring clarity to this. Our Constitution says that that authority rests in the membership. Does that match up with the pattern of Scripture? Does that match up with the pattern, pattern of Scripture? Now, as I begin to lay out the case here that the authority with to appoint elders does rest with the elders, the first thing we need to clear up right away is who's in charge of the church? Who's in charge of the church? Whose church is this? Are you sure about that? Because uh, I thought it was Pastor Matt's church. No. I thought it was Elder Mar- the elders' church, that we, it's our church. I thought it was your church. I thought you're in charge of the church. 
I thought the government was in charge of the church. I thought Governor Inslee was in charge of the church. I thought, no, we're all under the Constitution of the United States of America. That's the ultimate authority of the church. Got to clear up a lot of these things. Two passages I quickly want to point you to. Please take notes. Don't slack on this. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Write them down. You can look up later. They're up, they should be up here maybe. Maybe, yeah. Thank you, Marcus. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, and also Ephesians 5, 22 through 25. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, and Ephesians 5, 22 through 25. Just two quick examples of who's in charge of the church. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. They're talking about someone super special that created the world and who created all authorities, that all authorities are subject to him, and he is before things, and all, everything's held together. Verse 18, and he is the what? He is the head of the what? The body, the church. And if you keep reading, you find out who this he is. It is Jesus. Amen. Jesus Christ, the creator, the God God in the flesh. He is the head of this church. He is the head of his church in the world. Jesus is the head of the church. Clear as day, this is Jesus' church. Ephesians 5.22 echoes this in passing. Although the context of this is about submission to one another, Paul's talking about tons of stuff. We learn something about the Lord. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit submit in everything to their husbands. So, if the Spirit's pointed out something to you in your marriage, that's, that's great. But the point is, is that the head of the church is Jesus Christ. We're submitted to his lordship, ultimately, right? The church is not a democracy. It is not a democratic republic. We are not a constitutional republic. We are, we are in a theocracy, so to speak, where our Lord and Savior is the head, and he, what he says goes in the church, right? And what we're doing in this household of God as he appoints different people in different places to glorify him, and we're all like a body with different parts and different positions, and the Holy Spirit arranges and moves so there's health and maturity that happens to the whole body, and we simply grow and glorify God as we hear his voice and love and obey him both individually and collectively. Amen? He's the Lord. He's the chief shepherd. He's the groom. We're the bride. He's the head. We are the body. He moves, we follow. Right? He's the Savior. We're the redeemed. And as the head of the church, we most know that it's the Lord who's ultimately in charge. And so we're, what we're all seeking to do this, in this church is our purpose is to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ in all matters, in all matters. What he says, go. Where he moves, we move. 
And so we want to be in loving submission to the Lord. And so the authority within the church rests in Christ and rests in his word to us through his apostles. So really quickly, I want to take a remaining time to walk through the patterns we have about how the Lord Jesus appointed leadership and how those he appointed appointed leadership and then what they taught about how we're to appoint leadership. You see, that's where the authority chain is. What Jesus says, what he told the apostles to do, what the apostles told us to do, and that's the link. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's find it. When Jesus walked the earth, we saw how he appointed leaders. They were called apostles, which means sent ones. They were servant leaders in the church. Does that make sense? Servant leaders, okay? And they were the under-shepherds of the church after his ascension. Verses you'll, uh, chapters you want to write down, Mark 10, uh, sorry, Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6. Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6. They all describe Jesus appointing the 12 apostles. I'll just read from Luke's account about how that happened. Luke 6, verses 12 through 13. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to what? Pray to God. Who is Jesus praying to? The Father. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them. Wait a second. He chose from the disciples. He chose from a group. What? Twelve. Whom he called apostles. They were special. They were pulled out. They were the leaders that would be of the church. And so we see that Jesus, while he was on earth, he prayed to the Father. Then he chose 12 apostles out of a bigger group of disciples that were following him. And so we see the pattern of Jesus seeking the Father. We see him praying. We see him appointing. Okay? We know from John 17 that Jesus says these men were given to him. And he sent them out into the world to go make disciples. And he has given them authority to go. He gave them authority to go into all the world. He gave them authority over demons. He gave them authority to preach the gospel and wherever they went. There's just tons of verses that he gave them authority to do all those things. They were the authority in the church, the apostles. And we know that. John 17, read other places. And so these were the leaders that Jesus left in charge. And so then after Jesus ascended, uh, how were the leaders in, in, in the church appointed? Let me ask you that. Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit came. Now how, well, this is before he came, but how, was, how were the uh, leaders in the church appointed? This is very important. We're looking for the pattern. How were they chosen now that Jesus is no longer on earth? That responsibility fell into the hands of anyone who believed. Who did it fall into the hands of? The apostles alone. It was them. That responsibility fell into their hands. They were the ones who had responsibility of appointing leaders in accordance with the will of God. So important. Acts chapter 1. I'll just go over it with you. But Acts chapter 1, you can write that down, read it later. Remember, Judas had died. Jesus had ascended. The Holy Spirit had not fallen yet. So there were 11 of them hanging out waiting for the Lord, waiting for the Holy Spirit to be sent, Right? They were gathered together, they were praying, and they were reading Scripture. And Peter reads the Scripture. As he's reading Scripture, he sees what happened to Judas. He sees these different things and as they were reading together. And they come to the realization that the Scriptures declare that Judas would be replaced and how he would be replaced. So this isn't something that they're just going, hey, it would be great to get another guy in here. 
They were going, there's 12, there's one missing, the Scriptures say to do this, we need to appoint someone else. And so, the apostles developed criteria for who would be that person, because an apostle wasn't just anyone who got elected. And I'm not equating this with elders are not apostles. Okay, I don't want to even get anywhere near that. But how do you replace an apostle? This is important. They came with criteria. What is an apostle? What were they doing? They were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they said, we've got criteria. And Peter and the guys said, hey, they have to be, have been with whoever we're going to choose to fill this position. They have to be with them, uh, with the Lord from the time of Jesus' baptism by John, and they have to witness the ascension. So basically, they had to be there the whole, have been there with them the whole time. They had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. And there were two men who met that criteria, but there was only one position available. There was Matthias and another guy. They didn't vote. They didn't get everybody together and have a committee. They cast lots. Really weird. They said, these people meet this criteria They cast lots. So what we're going to do now is cast lots. No, we're not going to do that. That's an Old Testament model of determining the will of God. That's basically what they were doing. There was one position, two guys, they left it up to God. They cast lots between those two men, and guess who it was? Matthias got it, and he was the apostle. The rest weren't. The other guy wasn't. The point is, of all of this, regardless of the process there, is that it was the apostles who were the ones who were appointing out of the 120. You see that? There were 120 gathered in that passage. And it wasn't just this, hey, the bylaws say we need to do this once a year. No, this was a direct result of a time of prayer of the Lord's leading. And it was something that was pleasing. It was matching Scripture. And I believe that the church was in harmony with the decision. And that's important, too. They saw God's hand in it. And they realized from Scripture and the timing and all those types of things that this was right. And then they acted in obedience to the Lord. And by the way, this was a unique circumstance. That was a unique circumstance. No more electing apostles. But nevertheless, it was the 11's responsibility. Fast forward, Acts chapter 6. A little time in the church's life. We're fast forwarding to Acts 6. The apostles are still alive. This gives us another description of how the apostles were responsible for appointing leadership. Not even eldership, but just leadership within the church. Acts 6, starting in verse 1, says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They weren't below serving tables, but God had called them into a position in the church, and what was happening was pulling them away from all of this. And when, it, when leadership gets pulled away into things that they should not be doing, the church suffers because they need the Word of God, and God has put other people in the body to take care of all these things. And so these guys rightly knew their place, and he rightly saw the problem. What had happened is there was uh, tension within the Jews who were in Jerusalem, And there was tension with the Jews who were kind of raised with a Greek background. And there was some favoritism going on. It shouldn't have happened in the church, but there it was. And so they addressed it. And so they said, this is cool. So the other church was growing. There's problems. 
there's pains. What do we need to do? They said, well, we need leaders over this situation to go take care of this distribution of bread. It says that the 12 summoned, and they said this isn't right. Verse 3, therefore, brothers, they said, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. You see that there. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, real quickly, who's doing the appointing? Again, the apostles. What's the duty? Waiting tables. This is not eldership. This is serving in the church. The apostles appointed leaders of any kind in the church. And in this case, they asked the disciples to choose from among themselves. And then they gave them what? Gave them criteria. Isn't that amazing? They gave them parameters in which to choose men, and they let them choose in this situation for a situation that wasn't eldership. You choose them, we'll appointment, point them. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, and basically all these names are, are, are Hellenists. They're of Greek background. So basically everybody chose people who were not like natural-born Jews, but the other side, so that there would be balance in the whole situation. Amazing wisdom within the body of Christ. Love that. And they, as verse 6 says what? They set, before, they set the men before the apostles, and they prayed for them and laid hands on them. Keep that note in your mind. They prayed for them and laid hands on them. That's basically saying this is what God, God is doing, and we approve, and they are appointed. Okay? Do you see that even in the waiting of the tables, the apostles were the ones responsible for the Lord to appoint these men? And yet, in this case, they involved the church in the process, the disciples in the process. You've got to make, make sure you distinguish between that. But it was ultimately their responsibility. And obviously, verse 7 is awesome. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so we have more examples of this. How about Paul and Barnabas? Remember that situation? Later, a little bit later on, Acts 10. Remember that awesome thing, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to. We see how the Holy Spirit, and the emphasis is on the Holy Spirit calling, the Holy Spirit appointing, the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, who is it that appoints anyone in a church? It's the Lord. This is His church. And simply, the leadership's role is to respond to the Holy Spirit. It's got to be. And so, what we see is the context here of the process. Acts 10 starts out, now they were, they were at the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers. There were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, real quickly, prophets and teachers. That should, if you're a biblical kind of thinker here, uh, really quickly, Ephesians chapter 4, 10 through 13, it's code. Ephesians chapter 4, 10 through 13 says, speaks of Christ. When he ascended, he says he gifted the church with gifted leaders. Verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 4 says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11 is the point. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to why? Why did he give these people to the church? To lord it over them. To what? Equip the saints, to build us up, to make us mature, to feed the word of God, 
And that's the idea there. To equip the saints for the working of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So in Acts 10, we have prophets and teachers gathered together. This is the church leadership having a prayer meeting church. They're gathered together. They're praying. They're fasting. They're seeking the Lord. And no doubt there are more there, but the emphasis on what was happening and who God was calling. And verse 2 says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and I believe that's just through a prophet in those days, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, notice that's what he said, but then they kept on praying and asking the Lord for his wisdom in the circumstance. Is this really you, Lord? They kept praying and asking together. Then they what? Laid their hands on them and sent them off. Again, the laying on of the hands, just like the apostles with the people who were over the tables. It's a public recognition of the appointing by the Lord, and and we're just simply submitting to and agreeing with what God has already said. Notice in verse 4, who was doing the calling, who was doing the appointing, and who ultimately was doing the sending. So being sent out by the what? Of Holy Spirit. See, church, we need to be in harmony with the Holy Spirit in His authority of how He says it. It was God who was directing. It was the Lord who was calling and appointing. Raising up Paul and Barnabas in that church for the purposes of what God had called them to. How was that calling identified? As they prayed and sought the Lord, it became evident. As these men were serving the body, they were raised up. It became evident to the leadership, and my guess is it became evident to all that this is what God was doing. And they simply continued to pray and fast together until ultimately they realized these people need to be sent. And it was the the leadership's authority to make sure that that happened ultimately. Does that make sense? That's what I'm aiming at here. I hope you see a pattern so far. Flip over to Titus chapter 1, verse 5. And these are the key verses. These are the key verses for us as a church. It was God who was directing. It was the Lord who was calling and appointing, raising up mature Barnabas and Paul and all those. And so it was the leadership's responsibility. They were praying and worshiping and fasting, and they simply were obeying God's will to make it so. Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Just wanted you to put your finger there. Paul was sent by the church in Antioch, and remember that we just read that he was sent out, and he went and started churches everywhere. He went and preached the gospel. People came to the Lord. He started appointing leadership within the churches. Okay? And as he went, Paul appointed leadership in those places, and Titus was one of those guys. Timothy was another one. There's others that aren't named, but there were leaders in each of these places. The pastors and the elders overseeing them. Titus was the pastor slash elder, same kind of thing, over the churches in Crete. So at this time, there was kind of like regional governance. And, 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 Titus, and, and Paul is writing to Titus and says to Titus, starting in chapter 1, verse 5, please write this down, please pay attention to this, because these are the documents that we, this is the, 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 as close as we get to what we're doing today, okay? He says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order 
what was left unfinished, what was left unfinished, what was out of order, that you would appoint elders in every town, in every town meaning every church in every town that's established. You appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. Does that make sense? Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, says to Titus, the pastor, appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. That apostolic authority telling Timothy to appoint elders in every town. And then Paul gives Titus criteria of the appointment, just like they've, they've always done. There's criteria for leadership. And he goes on. Just like, well, the criteria is just like when the apostles chose the replacement for the apostle, there was criteria. Just like when they were choosing people at the table, who worked the tables, there was criteria. And now there's criteria again for eldership within a church. Paul says this is the criteria, and he lays it out. Verse 6, an elder must be what? Blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not Open to, the, uh, open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, and holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. In other words, his life reflects the doctrine. You're mature. Make sense? Why? So that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. He can teach and refute. It's the role of an elder. What Paul's describing here is a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Right? The word has been received by this man, apparently, whoever this elder would be that they were selecting, and is bearing fruit of the Spirit in his life and his character. And you see the eldership is not just about age, it's about maturity in Christ. Do they have a handle of the Scriptures? Do they know the Scriptures? Are the Scriptures living out through their life? Is the character of Christ in them? Because that's what needs to be handed off. That's what needs to be taught. That's what needs to be modeled. That was, that's what needs to be appointed. That's what needs to be uh, dispelled to the church, given out to the church, right? And all of this responsibility was given to the elders in the church to appoint men in that situation. Do you see that? Paul, by way of implication, extends the same thing to Timothy. Another place. He was over Corinth for a while. We see this in Paul's first letter to Timothy in chapter 3. Paul gives Timothy, who's overseeing that church in Corinth, the same criteria for appointing elders and deacons, by the way, in his, which just simply means servants in the church, and he, as he did Titus. And we also read also in Paul's second letter to Timothy in chapter 2, he exhorts Timothy, "...in what you have heard from me in my presence..." And of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able also to teach others. Those are elders. And that is one of the major distinctions of an elder. They, they hold the deep truths of the Word of God, and they are appointed and given authority in the church to give that to others, to protect the doctrine, to give it out 
to shepherd the sheep, to encourage them, not so that we're lorded over, just so that we are following what the Lord is saying. And he's told us clearly in his word what he had have us to do. And this is kind of where the scriptures leave us. We have elders being set up in every city. And those elders are charged with shepherding the flock of God. Jesus ascended, the apostles died off, the early appointed leaders like Timothy and Titus died, but who replaced them were God-appointed elders who have been called to shepherd the flock of God, feed, the word, feed them the word of God, pray for the church, love the church, protect the church, and they, as the servant leaders among the body, are the ones from among the church who are responsible of the appointing of eldership and leadership within the church. Church, what we have in our bylaws, in our constitution, does not match with what we've just read at all. And that's been the difficult thing at looking at this, is that we have something that we've inherited that we probably don't want to let go of. But we need to be biblical about this. And so the changes we have made to the Constitution, proposed changes that are going to be sent to you, they, they, they correct that. And I bet you they're not going to be perfect. But they seek to address that, and, I'm, and I am sure it's not perfect, but it's our best effort today to make our process biblical as well as more practical for 2021. And so this is a shift, because what we're asking each of, of us is that we shift the authority of appointing elders away from the unbiblical model that we have of that happening in the congregation back to the eldership where God has it. And this honors the scriptures and it honors the Lord in this. Now what this does not mean is that the elders are seeking a power grab so that we can appoint elders apart from the body of Christ, apart from what we believe is God's moving within the church, apart from your counsel, apart from your wisdom, apart from your lives, apart from your hearts. That's not it. Because we've got to shepherd you. <laughs> Make sense? Where do the elders come? They come from among the sheep, among you. And the way that I see this playing out is that as God is maturing and raising up men of God in this church, it is going to become apparent to you and it's going to become apparent to us that God is calling this man, whoever it might be, to shepherd the flock. Why? Because they're already doing it. Does that make sense? They're already doing it. And so our hope, and this is where you get into the actual, how does that actually work out, is do we now get to do a secret ballot on you guys? It's not an us and them, it's an us. The idea is that the elders would recognize this person, or you would recognize, and that at any given time throughout the year, not an appointed time, at any given time throughout the year, we'd be able to gather together and go, wow, we think the Lord's doing something in this person. We need to 
pray about this and that we, before appointing anybody, would make this apparently known to you that we would have a time as a church of prayer and seeking the Lord as we see the pattern here in Scripture. And at the end of that process, we make sure through that process that they match up with what Scripture says and that they're actually aspired to it, that they're called to it. There's tons of things in there. And at the end of it, we go, this seems like what the Lord is doing and there seems to be something that's pleasing with the church. Does that make sense? It's pleasing. The Lord is in it. It's not a, a functional type of thing. It's, it's the Lord leading his church. And at the end of that process, we all gather together. But it is ultimately the elders who are responsible for laying hands and appointing them into what God's called them because he's given us both the responsibility and he's also given us the greater, stricter judgment for shepherding the flock. Does that make sense? There's dangers in everything. But we want to be biblical in whatever we're doing. And so, we want to trust the Lord in his process. This is how the Lord says the church is, is, is to function. And we're not better than him. We don't know more than him. We just simply want to submit to him. Practically speaking, I don't think eldership should be limited to once a year. Do you? How often should someone be appointed an elder? Whenever the Lord says it's time. Make sense? There's a lot of other practical things in there. Why do we keep voting for elders who have been appointed? What happens if I'm teaching on something you guys don't like? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, what happens if it, this, is, this is a joke? Sorry, you got to take this with a joke. I don't want to be joking, but... My friend and I were talking about, like, you know, how to take over congregation-run churches. Basically, have your church gets big. Instead of building a new church, you just take half your church, move it into a congregational church, and you vote to take them all out. Isn't that, it was just a joke. Okay, it's just a joke. But we were laughing at the process, going, a whole church could be just taken over. Does that make sense? Because people, a majority decided to vote. We want to be biblical in what we're doing. There's balances back and forth, church. We understand. We've got to work through that. But do you know your eldership right now? I mean, have, have we, we're trying to seek the Lord. We, we've, we've been before you all this time. We're 10 years in, most of us, or, or more. And guys, I think this is, this is the biblical move. I think it's difficult, but we also need to discuss it. And I think we have, this gives us an opportunity to seek the Lord together, to pray and to get out of an unbiblical situation. No mystery voting. No secret ballots. It's not how it works. Just seeking the Lord together. Seeing what he's doing. Making sure it matches up with scripture. Making sure the men in leadership match up to what God's called us to be. So church, we're going to send you our proposed changes. There's going to be both the current version and our proposed version. We're asking that you read them, please, side by side, so you can just see what we're asking. We're asking that you read over the verses. We went over this morning. We're asking that you pray. We're asking that you dialogue. Don't just keep this in. If you disagree on something, please dialogue. Please dialogue. Please dialogue. We really ask for that and pray. And we ask that you join us next week. 
for our body life meeting, which is at what time? I'm sorry, 2 o'clock? 2 o'clock. Um, <laughs> and we ask that you also continue to adjust your lives as we're adjusting our lives to match the church. Now, I, I know that this is kind of like a lot to think about this morning, but we really want to seek the Lord in this because as the leadership goes, goes the whole church. And there are a lot of changes that need to happen. And this is just one of them. So we just ask for your prayer. We ask for your help and your insight in this as well. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, we come before you um, again, Lord, just having been in your word. And Lord, it's a, it's a heavy and weighty responsibility to be the head of a household, to be in a position of leadership where the decisions that are made affect lives. And Lord, you've called people into leadership in your church to be servant leaders, to be those who follow and seek your word and who are mindful of the sheep and who care about where they are and what's going on. Lord, I pray none of that would ever get lost in this. Protect us from danger, Lord. Help us to see beyond our current paradigm of Americanism and into what you have called for your kingdom. And we just ask that there would be a deep move of your spirit within this church. Lord, we just humbly submit this to you. I humbly submit this to the church, on behalf of the elder board. And we ask for your will to be done. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.